Okay, guys, let's pray. Lord, only you could do that. We can't. We can't do that, Lord, with all, all our knowledge, all our understanding, all our medication, all our psychology. We can't do that. But you can. And Lord, we want to give you a corporate thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for redemption that gives beauty for ashes. Lord, you are worthy of all our praise. And we want to say thank you for your word and the things you have in store for us this morning from the Bible. Lord, we're praying that you would speak into our hearts that your word would have its intended effect. Lord, we're praying that it would cause change in our lives, that we really would experience you and be different from that experience. And so, Lord Jesus, come once again today. Redeem your people. Meet us exactly where we're at and take us to where you want us to be. And Lord, we're going to give you all the glory for that. And we pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my topic this morning is the end is near. The end is near actually in a couple of ways. One way is the story is coming to an end. In fact, this is the last Sunday that we're talking about the story, this story that began back in Genesis and has gone all through the historical books and into the prophets and into the gospels and through Paul's writings and now ending in the apocalypse. But the upper story continues. It continues toward God wrapping up all that he started back in Genesis when redemption comes to completion. You see, in this life, even those stories that we hear like Matthew and the things God has done in our lives, it's only a measure of what he has for us. It's only a measure of that complete redemption that will happen when Jesus comes back and takes us home to be with him. When we are in eternity, we will be changed. And the Bible says we will be like him. You see, now we experience in part, but then fully, fully. So the upper story races on. And the lower story as well continues with events and developments that could be interpreted of the end being near here as well. On one side, we see famines. On another, earthquakes, disasters, troubles, persecutions, wars, and rumors of wars. But our generation is not like, not unlike those generations that have gone before us. Can you imagine, perhaps, what it was like to be a believer in Rome under Caligula or Nero or Domitian when they used Christians as lanterns, putting them on poles and lighting them on fire to face the arena, the stake, the lion's den for your faith. Or what about Christians 
When Jerusalem was invaded in 70 AD and the temple destroyed, could they have thought the end is near? Or what about Attila the Hun when he overran Europe in the 5th century and the Vikings in the 9th and Genghis Khan in the 13th and the Muslim Turks in the 16th century? Surely these Christians must have believed that they were living in those last days as well. Might anyone have concluded at the end, at that end was near, at the, that the end was near when the Black Death decimated Europe, wiping out entire towns and claiming more than 25 million lives in just a period of five years. Could those Christians have believed the end is near? And I wonder how that situation looked in when World War I was raging and after it realizing 37 million casualties. And then the second great war of the Nazis running over Europe and destroying town by town as they went forward. Surely in years past, Christians could say, as perhaps we say today, the end is near. That we are definitely living in those last days. But for today's purposes, looking at the end of the story, let's, for, let's assume for a moment the end is near. It certainly is closer than it was last week, or last year, or last decade. What then? How should we as Christians respond? Fortunately, the Bible gives us clear indication of how we should live. These three things I want to leave with you this morning. As we anticipate the Lord's return, the Bible encourages us to wait eagerly. To set our mind on the things above. To look forward to his coming. Secondly, to watch expectantly, knowing that one day Jesus will return to the earth. It reminds me of our prayer meeting earlier before the service this morning when we were all sitting in a circle. This is some of the pastors and the people working in the service this morning, ministering in the service. And when it was my turn to share, I said, well, this is the last part of the story. And one person said, what? Already? And you know what? On that day, it will be just like that. It'll be just like that. It'll catch us probably completely off guard. But Jesus's words will come to pass. And Jesus will return to the earth to gather his people and to begin that eternal home with them and us. Thirdly, not only to wait eagerly, watch expectantly, but also to work diligently. That God has something for us to do while we're waiting and watching. So let's start with this. Wait eagerly. I found that people respond differently to the second coming of Christ. There are those that doubt he will come at all. Those that think that it's gone on a long time. There, Christ has promised he's coming, but he hasn't come. Or those that simply don't know. 
But the Bible speaks to this in 2 Peter chapter 3. You'll see that something very similar was going on. Let's read this together. Know this first of all, then the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the word of God, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by the word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for that day of judgment of destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So first, Peter is responding to that claim that all things are continuing just like they have. God hasn't intervened in our lives, at least in a big way, in a long time. And Peter responds and says, Au contraire, Bible breath. <laughs> he says, When we maintain this, we forget that God created the earth. We forget that it was Him that breathed this into being. And we forget that God intervened in a big way when He brought the flood on the earth as well. And then He says to them, God has intervened, but realize this, that God's timing is not our timing. That his, for him, a thousand years is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years. Do you know that the Savior was first promised in Genesis chapter 3? That this redemption story that we've been talking about from Genesis now through Revelation, that this redemption story actually began only three chapters into the Bible. That Adam and Eve have failed and fallen, and Jesus, or God, has already set up a plan for redemption already in Genesis chapter 3. But realize this. It was at least 5,000 years, maybe closer to six or 7,000 years before the Messiah actually came. And all through the historical books and all through the prophets, they're wondering, when will the Savior come? When will the Savior come? When will the Savior come? And then finally, Paul writing in the book of Galatians chapter one says this, in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. After all that time, when everything was complete, when the timing was right, God sent his son into the world. And in the same way, in the fullness of time, Jesus will come again. Now guys, it could be today. It probably won't be, but it could be today. And it could be tomorrow, or it could be next week. God's desire for us is that we live prepared that we're prepared for his coming. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. 
It is not because of God's inability or his, or his indifference that the delay is happening. This delay is an indication of his patience. It's an indication of his grace and his love for his people, wishing that all would come to repentance. So God's delay is not indifference. God's delay is wishing that more would come to know him. So here's the first response. There are those who doubt his coming. Here's the second response. There are those that fear his coming. They wonder if they're prepared for it. Will we hear well done, good and faithful servant, or perhaps something else? It will change everything in an instant. I remember when our kids started moving away from home, our first one, our eldest, Joe, who's now approaching 40 years old, if you can believe that. Some of you that are parents, I'm not sure how you reacted when your kids started moving home, but this was moving from home, but this was very traumatic for us. Very traumatic. And this was the main reason. I said this to my wife, Sandy, numerous times. I said, I'm not done with him yet. I still have molding and shaping to do in his life. And Sandy was just beside herself. This was her first child going out. I said, hon, hon, he'll be back. Don't worry, he's, he's, he'll be back. Sure enough, the next morning, a knock on the door. Said, Joe, what's up? He goes, we don't have a shower curtain. Can I use your shower? It's like, okay, come on. Let's <laughs> Before he left, I said, I said, Joe, you don't make that much money. I mean, you're going to, you got your car payment. You realize you're going to have to pay for food. You're going to have some sort of renter's insurance. I mean, there's, there are going to be a lot of hidden costs here, Joe, that, that you don't, that you don't get. No, no, no. I got it covered. It's fine. I go, Joe, what are you going to do for food? I've never seen you buy food in, in your life. I mean, how? I, I turned around and walked away, waved my hand at him and said, you'll be dead in a week. <laughs> we weren't ready. We weren't ready. By the, second, by the second one, when it's time for the second one to go, we were ready. And by the time the fourth one came, um, I think he actually left sooner than he wanted to, the fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> Those who fear is coming wonder, will I be ready? Some see Christ's return in effect as a step down. They see eternity as somehow lesser than what we have here, you know, with all our our pleasures and all our conveniences and, and family and friends. But eternity will be so much more than that. If you could multiply those things, I'm just going to choose a number, but if you could multiply those things by a hundred, maybe then you would begin to understand what eternity will be like. For now, we only see just a shadow of, of what is real, of what of what God has for us. Now we only see a shadow of those things, but then we'll see fully. Those things we feel when God is in our presence that we never wanna, we, we don't wanna leave. This is what Pastor Tom's talking about when he talks about revival. 
He's saying that God's presence will be so obvious that people won't want to leave. Of course you won't want to leave because God will feel so present, so near, so close. Now that's still looking through a mere dimly. That's still looking at a, at a not so good reflection. But imagine being in a place where that is now removed. Now we see him face to face. Guys, this is going to be far beyond. This is going to be a step down. This is going to be a step up. Some people see eternity as a never-ending church service. <laughs> like one person once said to me, Greg, we love your preaching, but your messages don't have to be everlasting to be eternal. <laughs> it will be more than an everlasting church service. Perhaps some of you have heard this quote from C.S. Lewis. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are just too easily satisfied. So there are some to be sure that doubt is coming. There are some to be sure that they fear is coming because they don't see it as a step up. They see it as a step down. But there are also those that wait eagerly for his coming. Like what Peter says in his epistle, we keep, we keep with God, we, but in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And Paul writes to the Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a Bible with you, this will show up on the, on the screen. But I want to give you just a little glip, glimpse into eternity from Revelation chapter 21. It says this in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. <clears throat> Notice first of all this. John writing his revelation says there's a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth has passed away. Now this doesn't necessarily mean there's just a brand new heaven uh, sort of thing, but, but that heaven is renewed. And in a sense, in the same way, the old things have passed away on the earth and behold, all is new, that the earth is renewed as well. 
that this will be a new place of God's dwelling where his people will dwell with him. And this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And it says that we are the bride adorned for her husband. It speaks of that intimate relationship between bride and husband. That Jesus is coming back for his church, the bride, believers. He's coming back for his church, the bride. And the bride has adorned itself for the coming of this, of of the, the groom. And there is this joining together, this relationship like no man has ever known before. No person has ever known before. And as you read on here in this section, it says, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Can you see how God is restoring his plans from Genesis chapter one? That even as God created the earth and the people to inhabit it, In the same way now, he's renewing his promises. This redemption story is coming full circle. Jesus, Jesus came, Jesus was promised in Genesis chapter three, came in the gospels and now coming again in Revelation to set up, set up this new relationship. Of course, when Jesus came the first time, he took away the, uh, 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 and uh, he took away the, he took away the, help me someone. Uh, he took away line. Um, what, what? The veil. Enmity. 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 We got to work together on this now. <laughs> he took away that enmity between God and man. And that enmity has been taken away. And so we have this special access to Jesus. But imagine him dwelling amongst us. You read in chapter 22 of Revelation that we shall see him face to face. Guys, this will be light years beyond what we're experiencing today. Light years beyond what we're experiencing today. This will be a reality that we've, we've never known or even dreamed of. He'll be among them. And God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Look down just, oh, you won't see it up here. Uh, uh, If you have a Bible down just a little farther. It says, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We're Do those words sound familiar to you? It is done. You see, Jesus said those on the cross. It is done when when he completed the sacrifice for our sins. But now it is the consummation of his redemption plan. You see, that that death on the cross for our sins to, to save us, that we could be safe from our sin and live forever with him. That was just the beginning. The end of it is that we shall dwell with him face to face. He's the beginning back in Genesis. He's the end in Revelation. The alpha and the omega, the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. That is 
the blessing of his return and the blessing of eternity. We may not think much about our eternal home, but when we do, let us think in this way, that it is not a place where we're gonna take a step backward, that it is not a place of boredom like the never-ending church service. It is not a, a, not a place where we're not going to know what, what to do. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, well, will I still know my children? Well, yes. Well, will I still know who I was married to? Well, yes. Well, will I still know my parents? Well, yes. But it's not going to be as important to you as it is here. Because the presence of the Lord is going to be so overwhelming that that is going to be our heart's desire. We won't want to leave his presence. If we have to leave his presence, we won't want to leave his presence. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. So my first point is this. We are to wait eagerly, looking for that coming a bride made ready for her husband. What I see eternity is, is what God has promised us in salvation. Life and life abundant. But more than what we can experience on this earth. It's like the Hebrew word shalom. It's finding that place of rest, finding that place of peace where everything, everything around you, you and the world just seem to be at peace. I got a great illustration for that, that the next church, the next service, they're going to get that, but you're not. <laughs> the second point is watch expectantly first, wait eagerly, second watch expectantly. The Bible clearly teaches us that the coming of the Lord is imminent. Is imminent. That means it could happen any moment. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus declared before this generation passes away. The apostles thought it would be, certainly be during their lifetime. Jesus at the end of book, the book of Revelation says, I am coming quickly. Paul thought it would be during his lifetime, at least at the beginning of his lifetime. Near the end, he felt like it, it would be beyond his lifetime. Virtually every generation has believed that Christ would return during their generation. I've counted no less than 242 recorded predictions of Christ's return. Some of those you may be more familiar with, like Thomas Munzer in 1525 thought that that date would mark the coming of the Lord. He was one of the reformers in the 16th century. Or how about John Wesley, <coughs> who, who predicted that the Lord's return <coughs> would come in 1836. Or William Miller of the Millerites who began the Seventh-day Adventist church predicted that Jesus would come back before the beginning of the 1900s. 
or Charles Russell, the first president of the Watchtower Society, who we know as the Jehovah Witnesses, predicted that Christ would return in 1874. Or how about Herbert W. Armstrong of the Worldwide Church of God, who had numerous predictions of Christ's return, 1935, 1943, 1972, 1975, and then finally he just said, well, Christ will certainly come back before my death. He died in 1986. Or how many of you believe, how many of you remember, I'd be interested in seeing hands on this, uh, Edgar, Edgar Wissenant, Edgar Wissenant, when he published his book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will, why the rapture will Be in 1988. Okay, a few of us, a few of us oldies. 88 reasons, I remember it coming in the mail, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. It went right from the mail into the trash can. <laughs> the coming of the Lord will be a surprise to all. A welcome, joyous, glorious surprise to believers. An expected surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. Uh, look at this verse with me. Matthew chapter 24, verse 40. This is what Jesus says about, about this. In verse 40, he says, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew writing, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, <coughs> be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known the time of the night that the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. It would not have allowed his house to be broken into. But this, for this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now that's, that probably means that he could come today, right? Unless you're thinking that he could come today, then he might not because, you know. He's coming at a time when we think he's not going to come. A little bit earlier in the chapter, Jesus is saying this. It's going to be like the days of Noah. When Noah's building the ark, he's getting the ark ready, and people are being married, they're giving in marriage, I mean, they're eating and drinking, all these things are happening. They have no idea that the earth is going to be destroyed by a flood. In the same way, Jesus' return will be like that. It'll be sudden, and it will be imminent. It'll be like this, the groom coming for the bride. You see, in New Testament times, there was this engagement, betrothal. And any time after that betrothal, the groom would come and surprise the bride and take her away to be with him. And that relationship would be consummated and they'd become husband and wife. But because of that, the bride always had to remain ready. It will be like that. It will be like birth pangs coming in a moment when all of a sudden things are going normally and then all of a sudden birth pang hits and, and, and another and another and hopefully not too long after that there's a baby being born. The Bible talks about a man being away on a journey and putting his servant in charge and Jesus saying be alert because you don't know when the master of the house is coming. The point here is this, 
that Jesus is coming back. He's not only coming back, but his coming back is imminent, meaning that it is soon. The Bible teaches that it will be soon. And then secondly, it will be a surprise. Because it will be a surprise, be prepared. Be prepared for that particular surprise. In 1666, some of you are familiar with the writings of, of Brother Lawrence. Uh, a book was compiled on his behalf called The Practice of the Presence of God and published in 1666. It has sold, sold certainly hundreds of thousands of copies, if not, if not a million more copies. But Brother Lawrence was a Carmelite monk, and his uh, cardinal had heard about his activities, and so he went and met with him, and, and these are called the conversations, the meetings that they had, which is in the book. And then uh, uh, he also, after his death, there were some other letters that he had written to some of the other monks that were put in the book as well. But Brother Lawrence was a person who lived in the presence of God. And so his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, tells how to do that. The story is told at one point where one of his uh, fellow brothers came up to him and said, Brother Lawrence, if you knew that the Lord was coming today, what would you do differently? He thought about it a moment and he said, you know what? I continue to peel potatoes. I continue to wash dishes. I continue to devote myself to the Lord. God help us that we are at that same point where we don't have to change anything. That we don't have to wait. You know, it, it would be nice if we got a countdown clock. That would be nice. You know, it's like children's church down the basement. You've, you've, those of you that are parents, you see the countdown clock that starts at, I think, I think uh, at, uh, what time does the service start? 8.30? Starts at 8.30. 30, five minute countdown. Okay, five minute countdown. And so they know in five minutes and it's up on the screen, when that five minutes is up, that's when they're starting. Or like this, you know, we know when Christmas is coming so we can prepare for Christmas. We're gonna have 21 of our family together for Thanksgiving. And so we're already preparing for Thanksgiving. That's great to have a countdown clock. But when Jesus comes, there isn't gonna be a countdown clock. It's going to happen like birth pangs. It's going to happen all of a sudden. It's going to come that Jesus is here. And that's why the Bible encourages us, be ready. Be ready for his coming. This is how we're going to be ready. This is the third point. You're going to get it in like two minutes. <laughs> this is how we can be ready. The Bible encourages us to work diligently. Work diligently. Work diligently to make yourself ready. It's like the parable of the talents, you know, that God has given us certain talents and that we should use those particular talents so that when he comes back, we have something to show for what, he, what he's given us. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 says that end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment. Since the end of all things are near, be of sound judgment. 
For the purpose of prayer, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him do it as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do it as one serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what Paul is saying here, Peter, what Peter is saying here is this, that even though Jesus is coming, even though we know he's coming, be prepared. Be prepared for his coming. Persuade others to Christ. Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then finally, store up your treasures in heaven, not here on earth, This is what Paul says to Timothy. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Guys, this is going to be enough. This is going to be enough. When we see Jesus face to face and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that might not seem much right now. But when we see him, that will mean everything. It'll mean everything. Let me end with this story. My dad is kind of a quiet man. I think growing up, I left the home when I was 18 years old, married my bride, and uh, I would say between the time I was a, a youngster and the time that I left home, I would say we probably spoke less than 100 words to each other. And from that time to when my mom passed away, maybe six or seven years ago, um, we maybe spoke another hundred words to each other. But since my mom passed away, we've thankfully have started many, many conversations and spoken many, many, many words to each other. But when my oldest daughter was married uh, about 14 or 15 years ago, we were still in that time where we probably hadn't spoken 150 words to each other. Guys, I didn't know for sure how my dad felt about me. He had never told me he loved me. He had never told me he was disappointed in me. He, I just didn't know how, how, what he felt about me. And I had left the Catholic Church and joined these crazy Jesus people, you know. And, <laughs> and I wondered what he thought about that, but he never, he never said And you know, maybe there's some of us here today, you're kind of wondering, I don't really know what Jesus thinks about me. He doesn't talk to me that often. He doesn't say that much to me. So when my eldest daughter got married, we had a party. Great big party. We had a dance and food and the best wedding I'd ever been to. Of course, I officiated, but (laughs) I don't think that had anything to do with it. 
now that I think of it, it's somewhat of a surprise that my second daughter, that was the second best wedding I've ever been to, but I'm sure it's a coincidence. <laughs> so in all these festivities, this guy who I barely know, who's been my dad for, I don't know, 40 years, this guy who I barely know, he comes up to me puts his hand on the back of my neck and draws me close. Our cheeks touch each other. He goes, Greg, I want you to know, your mom and I are so proud of you. I know there's coming a day when Jesus will grab the back of my neck, he'll draw me close. Cheeks will touch, he'll say, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Okay, guys, you got to go. Let's stand up. <laughs> if you just want to close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord... Now, I'm sure there are, just go ahead, close your eyes, just shut yourself in with the Lord. This is, this is an important time. This is where the Lord deals with us and solidifies those things he's speaking to us in his word. So just shut yourself in. Forget about that person to the right and the left and in front of you. And You know, you came today probably not knowing what to expect. You maybe haven't thought about eternity for a long time. You've been busy with kids and life and work and ministry, all these things, and you haven't given eternity a, a second thought, maybe in the last month, two, or maybe even years. But this morning, the Lord's reminding you that he is coming back for you that although he's given you so much already, although he's redeemed so much already, that's yet not complete. It's yet not complete. He hasn't completed. He hasn't restored that relationship like he had with Adam and Eve before the fall. He hasn't restored that yet. That's coming in eternity. That's coming after Jesus comes back and gathers us together with himself. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray that God would give you a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of eternity, that from this day forward that you'll be looking ahead to that time, that you'll see this as only passing through. I'm only on this earth. I'm only passing through. With all the good things that are mine, I know what awaits me is even greater. What awaits me in eternity is even greater. And so we set our eyes and our hearts on the things above. I want to pray for you in just a moment. And then there are some here. They don't, you don't know the Lord. I mean, you know about him. But you haven't made that decision like Matthew was talking about this morning. <coughs> 
you haven't made that decision where you've taken yourself off the throne of your life and you've placed the Lord Jesus Christ on that throne. Guys, when you do this, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come into your life and he's going to transform your life. It's not going to be perfect, but you're going to know that God has come in and that God is at work. And he will continue to shape you and mold you into his image. He will continue to take those ashes and give you beauty. He will begin to, he will begin and continue to shape your life into something beautiful if you will simply give him control. And he'll ultimately save you from your sins and take you to live with him forever. I'm going to pray with you in just a second as well. But let me just say, if you're making that decision this morning, I'd like to pray for you right down here at the front. We're going to have prayer teams up here praying for those that might want prayer this morning. But if that's you, you're making a decision to follow him for the very first time. I want to meet you right down here at the front and we'll pray together and solidify that in your heart. So I think Sarah's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. This is, what, this is how I'd like to end. Uh, I'll pray and then Sarah will lead us in a song and then we'll all sing together. And then once we're done, uh, we can be dismissed. But as she begins to sing, those of you that like prayer this morning, our prayer teams, and those that are committing your life to the Lord for the first time this morning, you begin to come forward during that, during that song, and we'll go ahead and get started while the others are singing. So Lord, we just want to say thank you for the things you're speaking into our lives today. We want to say thank you for the promise of heaven and the promise of eternity. We want to say thank you that you never forsake us or leave us. We want to say thank you that your promises are yea and amen, that, that they will come to pass. Just like you created the world, you will consummate this creation. Just, as, just like you started redemption in Genesis chapter 3, you will consummate redemption in eternity. Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And we're going to give you thanks. We pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, let's sing this song together.